Welcome to the Bridging the Generation podcast. I'm your host, Malak Arif, and today I have a very special treat for y'all. All the way from Memphis, Tennessee, I have Southern and Funk Music Royalty. This brother right here and his band is known for hits such as Too Hot to Stop, Attitudes, Son of Shaft, Flying High on Your Love, Running In and Out of My Life. I mean, the list goes on. He's also still currently putting out new music with his latest single, I'm Good. And with that said, it's an honor and pleasure to introduce to the Bridge the Generation podcast, member of the legendary Barcades, the one and only Larry Dodson Sr. Let's go. absolutely wonderful how are you my friend um i'm i'm blessed i'm yes, honored sir. to have you here you look well you look well thank you thank you i tried man you know i, I <laughs> watching you brother throughout the years man i'm trying to I'm, I'm trying to be like you brother well you know it ain't all it's cracked up to me you know what i'm saying all you gotta do is live 70 years and that's all the lord promises three score and ten wasn't it <laughs> hey brother if i can look like you within the next 20 years i'm good Yes, sir. Yeah, no, this is a wonderful time. It's a great time of the year for me. I particularly like this time of year, not only because it's, uh, well, because it's Christmas and uh, I'm a family guy, man. People probably don't even believe that, but uh, I've been married 50 years wow. to a wonderful woman, man. So uh, we, we've shared our whole life together, you know. So yeah. this is a great time. I'm usually kind of off and not working this time of year. And uh, okay. so, you know, we, we all, we, we, um, and I did, a, you know, this year, so I did something I, I had been trying to do for a long time. I wrote a Christmas record, you know. I've been okay. saying that was on my bucket list. So right. I just kind of got done this year. It's called Christmas with You. And uh, we 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 shot a little home, home video uh, the other night with it, and it was just so cool, man. Okay. We just we acted the crazy fools, man. And I, saw, I, cool. I checked it out on the Instagram. It was pretty did dope. You? Oh, I didn't yeah, even yeah. know. It was, I, it was, I didn't even know. So my son must have done that. Okay, that was a night at the Dotson's house. You saw us with our with our uh, 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 Santa Claus pajamas on. It was cool. I, hey, <laughs> hey, hey, I see everything. Oh, okay, okay. Well, so I, I forgot my world. My world and my life is an open book. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I forgot. And we and we gonna get into that book as well. But look, yes, Mr. Sir. Dawson, I yeah. want to start from the beginning, man. Me being a diehard fan, I'm gonna jump around a little bit. And when I mean okay. I'm gonna jump around a little bit, I want to get into your career and I want to talk about this amazing catalog that you have put out through the years, man. And you know, I wanted to, uh, I want to go back to the beginning, man. Like. Where, mm -hmm. What part of Memphis are you originally from? I'm from uh, South Memphis. Uh, originally grew up. I've uh, I've lived in Memphis all my life. You know, um, originally I was a doo whopper man. I I started a group in high school called the Tim Prees, man. And people know the Tim Prees because after I left and joined the Barcades, they went on to make a lot of music, man. 
Hold up time out, Mr. Dawson. Hold up time out. See, this is why I do this, brother. I'm a huge fan of the Tempries, and I oh, had yeah, no really? dedicated okay. to the one I love. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I love, ladies. Had- I'm for you. You for me. Yes. Uh, yes. Love between oh, a boy and girl. When yes. I love, you know, these guys, for, um, just as life would have it, they came to Stacks Records right after I, I joined the Barcades in 70. So a couple of years later, they got the opportunity to come to uh, Stacks as uh, at minus me. And man, it started an incredible career. They had about four or five huge records. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah, I, I love started that. group in high school in the ninth grade. So, so <laughs> let's so again. Let's go back. Let's go back. You said okay. you were a doo whopper. So we talk about Memphis. We talk about Memphis. We talk about the fifties, sixties. Man, who was some of the the um the artists that you like? You know that you that influenced you because you have a very distinctive style, man. And when you the tell me doo woo, talk about it. It was the Temptations. Let me tell you, that's why we kind of got the number name the Tim Priest. We were so fascinated with okay. the Temptations. Uh, that was they, we sung every song they ever made, and uh, the Delphonics was the group that we liked at that time. I would say those were the two biggest groups, but we were a very good group, man. I mean, we were as popular as all outdoors, and yeah. and uh, I not skipping ahead too much, but I joined the Barcades in 1970. And at that time, the Barcades were an instrumental group. Didn't have a never oh, thought hold on, about hold it. On, Mr. Dawson. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah, we didn't get to that. Let's go back okay. a little bit. Let's, I, I, with no, no disrespect, but yes, sir. Of the fall, we definitely we're going to touch on that. So okay. I want to talk about I want to talk about Memphis, man. I want to talk about Memphis soul music history. Um okay. when we think of Memphis, we think of Stax Records. We think of high records. What was it like growing up as all of this stuff was taking place, man? You know, what was what was it like? It was incredible, my brother. Let me tell you, on every corner was a church and a club. Mm. So, I mean, we're talking live music and Memphis was just full of incredible talent. For three or four dollars, you could go in any club, man, and see right. the Soul Children. You could see Ooh. Sam and Dave. You could, oh man, it was just, it was unbelievable. It's hard to put into words, but it was so much music here, and it was live, and it was heartfelt. And we were, it was the home of Stax Records, where all these guys recorded. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's man. Cool. That's music, that's- music, music. That's all it was about. Music and church. Music Great and television. church. So, Mr. Dawson, I um. A lot of people, I, I, uh, I've never really got the opportunity to talk to anyone such as yourself and share this experience that I had with this <laughs> brother, because a lot of people may not be knowledgeable about this brother, but I'm about to bring up right now. But at one time when I was living in Virginia, I was neighbors with Carl Hampton. Yes, sir. Oh, my God. Probably I was neighbors with Carl Hampton back in 2011. Gotcha. I okay. I used to go down to this brother's house. He's from Memphis, Tennessee. Correct. We used to go. I used to come down, go down to his house, and we used to talk music, literally for hours. And he just he told me how great of an of an artist you were even back then. Oh wow! Just mentioning some of the great artists uh, that came out of uh you know that that area. I noticed. I I remember him bringing up your name, and you know it was profound that that you know that he brought up your name. when you're thinking of the 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 the, the legendary artists of um of in, in Memphis, man, so I all that always 
it, it always stuck to me like wow you know like i don't he was the first you were the first name he brought up oh really name, carl yeah oh, I'm, man. I'm honored i'm honored he was a great writer man he's great he was a great yeah, and, and, wrote a lot of made a lot of money made, made some very 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 good songs yeah. you hear me homer banks homer banks that's exactly right yeah, who was a twin of james, james. Banks, who, both james. of those guys um at that time, we weren't doing a lot of our own writing. We're talking the early 70s. So it was the likes of Homer and James Banks, uh, Carl Hampton, and, and other just prolific writers who were helping us at that okay. time. Yeah. Okay. So look, I want to I want to go back a little further, man. So we most of us know that the Barcase originally was a, a instrumental band. Absolutely. Um, they were the backing band of Otis Redding. That's so, correct. 1967 in December, around you know, I think December the seventh, I believe, 1967. The tenth. The tenth. I apologize. I yes, correctly. sir. Um, Otis Red in his uh, plane crash. Um, four members of the band um, are, are uh, vanish along with uh, Mr. Redden. Yes, sir. What was that experience like? What was the 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 environment like when that happened? Knowing that you know Otis Redden was a huge he was like the the marquee artist of stacks records what was it like around that time when that happened it was uh it was devastating uh and and i you know probably if you would ask everybody nine out of ten people exactly what they were doing with at the time that they heard of the untimely plane crash they could probably tell you vividly what they were doing i was with friends at that time and <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> it came across the it came across the news that the plane that went down uh with otis and at that time, it was undetermined how many survivors there were. Okay. And later on, we come to find out that four of the members had, had perished in the crash. But it was it was devastating. The Barcades were like, I mean, like it, they were just incredible in Memphis, along with all the other acts that right. there. But you know, you talk about some kids, man, went high school with a number one record, Soul Finger, Soul you know, Finger. and just an incredible band. Yeah, it was a devastating period. Yeah, so I. I, 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 I you had it was Carl Cunningham, Phelan Jones, Jimmy King, and uh, Ronnie Cobb. did you know any of those guys? Absolutely, yeah, man. We were all friends, some more than others, you know. Yeah. And you know, a lot of people don't know, but the Barcades were always an, an interracial group. They always had a white guy in the van in okay. the '60s, man. Isn't that wow. something? And after yeah. the plane crash and they reformed, they uh, they filled the position of keyboard player uh, with another uh, white kid. Whose right. name was Ronnie as well? Okay, okay. Yeah. So let's talk about mm -hmm. that. So, 1967, we mm -hmm. uh, the, the the band uh, four members of the we lose four members of the band. Mm -hmm. Now, here we come. You know how? What was your introduction? How did you get introduced as far as being a lead singer? Because they did not have a lead singer prior. No, not at all. No, and it was. So what were you doing? What were you doing at around that time, which led do, to you joining? Do whopping, do whopping with the Temperies. <laughs> oh, wow. right. I was I was actively with the Temperies, and like I said, we were a local uh, local group. And uh, after the crash, James Alexander, who who was not on that plane, it was just his turn to stay back. And that was uh, Otis's private plane, so it only held so many people. And right. so what would happen is one somebody would always stay around to turn the cars in and, and right. fly commercial. Now let me just say this: that Ben Cauley, the trumpet player, he actually went down with the plane. 
and survived. And he couldn't swim. So, you know, God had his hands on it. So uh, it wasn't until 1970 until they decided to pursue getting a, a lead singer. Okay. And there so, I was, you know. So so going from doo-wop and getting mm-hmm. that call, what was that like? Like, tell me how, what was, what, how, how was that, you know, what was going on in your mind when you got that call to be the lead singer of an instrumental band? Like, what were you, were you, were you excited about that? How, how, how did you take that? Well, I'll tell you what, if you can, if you can recall the greatest thing that ever happened to you and the biggest shock that ever happened in your life, you multiply that times 100 and that's how I felt, you know, just James Alexander, who was the uh, leader then of the group, okay. the new, uh, you know, Barquets at the time, he came to the club where we were performing right. and during the intermission, he uh, asked if he could talk to me for a little bit. And he came and asked me, would I be considered okay. being the lead singer of the Barquets? And I, I was floored. I was absolutely floored. And then, you know, really a little nervous about the fact I was wondering, could I could I really handle such a position? You know, I mean, we had never thought about the Barclays having a singer at all, you know. But I eventually took it, and uh, they were in the midst of, of doing an album that little did I know. So I was thrown into that situation, had never really recorded on that level before. But we had an amazing producer, Alan Jones, uh, and he sort of held my hand through it and gave me the confidence to trust myself and him. And uh, we we ultimately made an incredible album. Really one of my favorite albums, Black Rock. It was just an amazing adventure and one of the best albums we've ever done. Wow. I'm going to be yeah. honest. That's <laughs> not one of my favorite albums, but I really appreciate that album. I li- like yes, it. You got to put out a bad album. But I, I'm surprised that you would have that you I'm surprised that you would have said the uh, a Stax record. Um, one uh, album that you released on the Stax record. I would have thought it was the Mercury, Mercury era. Well, you know what? Just having done 30 albums with the band, as I look back over my career, that album was so far ahead of its time. Well, you know, it was such a fusion of funk, rock, and soul. Uh, it was just a, an amazing venture. And then it was a first for me, but it, it was it's really an iconic album. Now, after that, after there were many albums that I thought were uh, just incredible. We did 11 albums from, from Mercury, uh, five of which were gold and one was platinum. So I almost could pick any one of those. And I, well, no, I, I, I can't say it. Enjoy was probably my favorite album. That was your, oh, man. Enjoy, yeah. We're going to get all into that. So look, we, we, so 1971, mm-hmm. you really Black Rock. Now, was Alan Jones, was he the producer? Did he just become the producer when you joined? Because I don't re- recall him being a producer. Was- he didn't produce Soulfinger. No, he did not. He was an A&R. Uh, he was over uh, artist relations at Stax at that time. Now, Soulfinger, the guys auditioned one day for 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 to get a deal at Stax, and right. they had been playing this riff in the clubs. And then after being turned down twice. Right. They ended up playing on one Sunday. They were playing this little riff and, and the president, Jim Stewart, said, what are you playing? What is that? He said, we don't really know. It's just something we kind of play. And that ended up being 30 minutes later. Soul finger. Wow. Yep. 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 But Alan, Alan took on producing um, right after that, um, right after that. And he produced oh, all dude, the albums I- that we did up until really his untimely death. So talk, so talk, talk to me a little bit about Alan Jones. I wanna, I wanna touch on him because 
he's one of those producers I feel that has been overlooked. Um, I talked to Mr. Hampton about him and mm -hmm. it's not a lot of information out about Alan Jones, but like you said, Alan Jones produced every project that you that uh you guys release as far as stacks and mercury. Correct, correct. As far as stacks was concerned, yeah. Stack exact. So yeah. um, yeah, and, and you know, of course it's untimely death. So, but I wanna what was special about Alan Jones? Because a lot of people don't know about him. When I listen to his productions, I'm amazed at this brother. So can you talk to me a little bit about Alan Jones? Alan was a he was a very shy guy, he was almost a recluse. Uh, he never wanted to take pictures. He never wanted any credit. He was his whole life really evolved around music, uh, and and as the producer and yeah. sort of mentor and best friend of the bands, that was his whole life. Alan designed the outfits. He helped us to uh, write the songs, get yeah. the material, and produce the the show. He did everything. He was an idol maker, and he he single handedly crafted my image for uh for the band uh that's 120 pound long haired guy on stage was was a brainchild of his yeah <laughs> really yeah. Honest I'm, I'm i'm thinking back and I'm, I'm looking back at um you know like you said man you guys were way before, way ahead of your time especially with that black rock album uh the do you see what i see uh project yes, sir. which that's my favorite stacks bark really yeah, that was a great album. That was a great, a great album cover too. The album cover is dope. Who, who yeah. did that album cover, by the way? Alan designed some of it, and then we gave it to I can't think who the of the other guy who kind of helped to do that, but Alan gave him the blueprint for it. But I thought mm -hmm. that was one of one of the uh, one of our favorite man uh, favorite uh, album covers. Man, is do you see what I see, man? And it was. Uh, a lot of ecology was in the writing of those of those songs, man, and uh, we enjoyed it very much. So let's go a little bit back. Let's go back a little bit. Mm -hmm. So those four members in the, uh, of of the the original Barcades. Now you joined the band. Now how did you guys? How did you guys um, put together uh, uh, put together the lineup of the? I would say the marquee lineup of the bar case when i think of the bar case i think of lloyd smith and i think of uh charles allen and mm -hmm. i think of you know winston Stewart. i think of you know I, I think of all these guys harvey henderson how mm -hmm. did you all of these guys and how did all of you guys come together harvey winston and myself we were the writers of the group uh even though all everybody's name was on the record we wrote the songs uh and not at first but you know, Alan would put us in a room at, at 10 o'clock in the morning. And he said, don't come out to you, come up with a song. And and he taught us the elements of writing, uh, just really writing really, really good stuff. Right. And eventually it caught on. And, and it, after a while, we, he didn't have to come into the room anymore. You know, wow. he would just come into the room, pick the song up and, and say, great, you know. But uh, we were we were the we were James right. was the business guy. We yeah. were the writing team and, and everybody pitched in uh musically right but lyrically and winston was kind of the keyboard guy who would come up with most of the tracks yeah when i think about the bar case man and how you guys you know even the original lineup you guys were so young you know when i think of a lot of the, the great bands that was around um around that time we got earth wind and fire and we have uh you know the ohio players like you guys were younger than all of the bands when i really think about it and um, 
So how was it being this young band in Stax Records? Because I don't believe there was any other bands I'm outside of Booker T and the MGs. Mm-hmm. But you guys were the only band on Stax Records. How was that? Yeah, di- different. We were we were the bad. They used to call us the bad boys because they never understood our music. It was it was too confusing to them because Stax was basically an a soul R and B label, and we were doing these songs with that we had rock overtones to them and long arrangements, and uh, you know, it, it was uh, we it was very difficult to get them to kind of understand what we were really where we were coming from and where we were going. Eventually. Uh, it became kind of cool after Son of Chef, which after we played on, after we played on Chef, which was a Grammy Award winning, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, a, an Oscar Award winning song, yeah. we released Son of Chef and we had done this movie Watch Dax. After that, we started to carve our own career. That was 71, 72. Uh, hey. We started to get recognition and they started to notice who we were on the label at that point. So at 19, let's, let's, let's go, let's go, Mr. Dawson. So it's 1972. Mm-hmm. And perform at the LA Coliseum at Wattstacks. Absolutely. Now, explain to the to the people what was Wattstacks. Wattstacks was the concert. The brainchild of that was uh, then the president of Stacks, Al Bell. He asked all the artists, would they mind donating their talent to do an epic concert in uh, Los Angeles? This was right after the Watts riots. He said, "We got to do something to help calm those." Calm those areas down, and let's. He said, "I want to make it very, very cheap for the people to get in because I want to fill the stadium up." It was two dollars to get in, and at the time we went on that evening, it was one hundred thousand people. To this day, that's the largest audience we've ever played for. And might I say, there was no, no violence at all. I mean, not one incident. It turned out to be an epic film, but it really started out as a concert that they wanted to film, you know, just really not making a movie. It, it, it evolved into an epic concert and film. Did you realize that it was going to have the impact that it has today as far oh, as being yeah. an iconic, uh, an iconic documentary? Like that is a classic right there. It is. Nobody, had, including Al Bell, nobody had a clue that it was going to be, as you said, an epic film. Uh, it was just something. It was some ama- amazing performances. And at that time, you know, Isaac Hayes was riding on cloud nine because he had Shaft. And uh, I-, I tell this story all the time. You know, we had planned to come into the concert riding on white horses, pulling a white chariot it- with our white outfits on. We had called Metro Golden Mare, found the chariots, found the horses. Right. everything Isaac Hayes got wind of it and uh, he said oh hell no he, he shut said, it down yeah he shut it all the way down you said you guys not gonna steal you kids not gonna steal the show from me yeah because so I, I, I believe is that did he have the chain uh, yeah absolutely but you had something similar though you had yeah, something duh, right you know where he got that from right we were the bad kids we were ahead of our time on dress writing everything and Isaac was very clever and um, he picked up on the leotards, which we were wearing at that time on stage. He picked up on the chains. And, you know, he kind of, you know, it's all good. We you know we, we, we black folks making music, you know, and we're in the entertainment world. So it's all good. How was that? Like the whole stacks? When I think of stacks, man, it was just I mean, you guys had so many great acts, man. Were, were, was there like a outside of the band? Was there like a type of uh, camaraderie between, you know, you guys, the soul children with, with um, you know, uh, 
just just so many great artists, man. How how was that, man? Just being around. Well, let me tell you, from what in, in the barcades were playing on after Booker T and MGs kind of got real rich and started playing golf. The you know there was an absence of a band to play, so the barcades were right there on time. And once we played on the track, you know the artists loved it. You know Johnny Taylor and. Sam and Dave and Otis and Wilson Pickett wouldn't have any other band to play once they heard what the Barcades could do. But it was competitive with them. Like they were always trying to have a bit have a bigger record than the other one. But it was all good. They loved each other. But it was uh it was uh it was competitive. You know, everybody wanted to hit record there every time. And these guys were spoiled because you know all of their songs end up being number one. You can't remember a bad record by Sam and Dave. Or Wilson Pickett, or Albert King, or Isaac Hayes—they were all their records. Whenever they came out, they went to number one. I always said when I think of Stax records, man, like it just takes me back to—it just takes me to the South, man. Like what you guys did was so much different, was so different from what Motown did. Like you guys were like polar opposites, even though you guys both uh, did soul music, rhythm and blues. Mm-hmm. What was- was so special about stacks record stacks records man like what was it well you know it's been often said that motown as great as it was it was caviar and champagne and the barcades were big strawberry drinks fish sandwiches and collard greens (laughs) but it made you feel the same way all of the guys at stacks were heartfelt i mean a lot of the stuff was spontaneous. It happened on the floor. You know, we were cutting live. Then the singer would be live and the bands would be live. Anybody made a mistake, you had to come all go all over it and play it again. Wow. But so much magic was captured on the floors of Stax Records. When you got guys like Wilson Pickett and Albert King and Sam and Dave and Johnny Taylor and Rufus and Collar Thomas, the emotions, the dramatics. I mean, it's one take. We played on some of those first records, man. Now the first four albums. Now, now there was another band called the Marquis. Now, Correct. what what was who who were they? Because I, I remember I remember I like I look at my um I have the shaft on vinyl. When I look at it, I see the Marquis. Who, they who, were a horn section. They were actually a horn section, uh, like the Memphis Horns. Oh, okay. uh, they it, it, they they did have a traveling band. They didn't go on the road much, but they did a lot of the recording at Stacks, just okay. as the Memphis Horns did. But they they were a horn section. Okay. They weren't really a, a performing band, so to speak. Okay. So mm-hmm. so here we go. It's 1974. You guys release uh, Cold Blooded. Correct. Um, my favorite song on it is that Would I, man. I don't know if you remember that. Right, would I if I could, of course. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. See, by that time, we were writing all the songs, Musterland. You know, we would take a few outside songs, but we were really, really doing it. Now, that may, that may be one of the uh, most iconic album covers that it was that cover opened up and that i was using a snake in the act at that point so if you you've seen it so you know that was a very very interesting cover there so 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 tell me this mr dawson where where did like again you 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 were in a doo-wop group now sure. you're here as the leader of this band how where did the whole the look the whole you know the whole persona come from man as far as like when i look at you Man, when I think of if I want to start a a a a, a band, and I want I need a lead singer, mm-hmm. give me Larry Dodson, give me Prince, give me Ron Osby. Like you had a very distinct look, 
And let's not forget, you had a very distinct sound. And I want to talk about the sound later, but tell sure. me about the look. As I said, the look was a brainchild of the idol maker, who was Alan Jones. You know, he molded uh, a lot of our looks because uh, he was a show business guy. He said, "I want you to look different. I want you. I want you guys to always be ahead of the game and let everybody else follow you guys. When you color your hair, I want everybody else color. You want to see the whole industry and all right. the bad bands crazy. And that's what we did, you know. And then it became a part of us, you know. We began. We we liked it. It was uh, it, it was you know the the girls liked it. They hollered and screamed like they should when you when they got daring and 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 sort of edgy guys, you know. And they all and the band started to emulate us, and so." It was great for us. We and we had a rock overtone, so it was kind of all cool, you know. Uh, I, my hair was straight, and I, I kept it like that for years. We, I was using a snake in the egg, nothing occult. We just show yeah. business, you yeah. know. Was, Alice Cooper was always somebody that was dealing with snakes, you know. And so when I came along, it was like, there he goes again, you know. Larry's doing something else, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so how was you, how were how was you accepted in 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 Memphis because you guys were very outside of the box man when you think of just not rhythm and blues acts but just thinking of uh a bands you know you guys you, when you think of the, a lot of the funk bands which came a little mm -hmm. bit later on they were they were you know you guys really stood out so what, what what was it like in Memphis as far as you know what was the reception we, you know, even though this was our home, we weren't guys who were walking around with our noses up. You know, these were, this was our home. You know, we spent a lot of time recording. And when we weren't recording, we were on the road. So we weren't here a whole lot okay. in, in any part of our career. But we were, you know, we were, we were, we were homeboys, you know, and people revered us and they liked us and they respected us. We kept, a, uh, we kept ourselves cool and the city opened arm to us. So as they did the other artists, you know, Stax was an incredible building, man. There's a lot of incredible music that came out of there. You know, um, a lot of kings and queens came out of there. Yeah, yeah. So we um, were we we were very cool at home. You know, very very cool. So I I I noticed you just said something that really stood out to me as far as being ahead of your time and a lot of artists following after what you guys have done, and. Mm -hmm. that Brings me to the next question I want to ask, and I don't know if you get credit for this, and if you know, if you pay, it, if you realize this, but as far as singing and that vote, that owl, and that you were the first to do that, as was far that? as singing, singing, and that, and with, with that uh, uh, level of uh, professionalism and just you, that that type of delivery. You know, cameo came later. I'll be trying to tell people. <laughs> I'll be um, you know, here in Washington D.C., we have Sugar Bear um, from the Go Go Band EU. That's right. That's right. And I try to and tell Big Man Sugar Foot. Yeah, and exactly. <laughs> you got Sugar Foot with the Ohio Players. Right, right. You were the first man. So where did that come from? Uh, who knows, man? You know, I'm a stylist. I'm not a guy who had really a great voice at all. I I, I, I like to consider myself a guy who had emotions, and I can make you feel it behind that mic but these things i was and let me tell you the guy who i really really liked <laughs> that was i'm gonna tell you sly stone was a guy who i really 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 had a lot of uh he had a lot of influence on my professionalism and my urge to be different sly was there's only one sly 
there's only one slide, you know. And so when you get into all, when you get into that area, I call it tall weeds. You have to find yourself a lane and be different. And I did, man. And I didn't have to pretend. It was like it came out naturally. I don't know where it came from, but it came out, and it was my. It ended up being some of my signature things. You could always tell my distinctive voice. It didn't take you but twenty seconds. You know, it didn't take twenty seconds. Just one. <laughs> first note when I think when I when I when okay. I hear man, I'm like. Yeah, this is Larry Dodson, man. And, it, it, you know, you really stood out from the rest. But even with, you know, other uh, lead singers that sound a little similar and all mm -hmm. of them sounded different. But I want to give you your credit because you were the first. Thank you. You were I the guess. first. Everybody to know that Larry Dodson <laughs> first, man, as far as singing with that type of delivery. So here we go. It's um, it's 1974. Mm -hmm. Released Cold Blooded. Mm -hmm. And around this time, Stax Records start having some problems. That has the problems. They start yeah. having problems, man. So what was that like? Where was the creative juices still flowing, even though the financial things wasn't what they should have been? Did How did that affect you guys as far as artists and as far as uh, being creators? You know what? Um, our manager... Well, no, he wasn't our manager at the time, but our producer, he soaked a lot of that up for us to keep to keep our help, to keep our creative juices flowing. We yeah. knew Stax was in trouble, but uh, we were the last act to leave. I mean, wow. we were literally, the Barcades and the Soul Children, I mean, the Barcades and uh, the Staples Singers were wow. the last to leave. We saw them padlock the door. That's how devoted we didn't want to. We, we were sort of in denial, kept thinking that the that, you know somehow or another that the uh, they were gonna find some more money to stay open, but they didn't. We were very, very loyal. But uh the challenges that they were going through, Alan kind of kept that from us a little bit. He said, Don't worry about that, we'll work things out on the top in management and, and in the front office. You guys just keep putting your juices together, keep spitting this music out. But it got to be a little difficult. Okay. Because in the back of our minds, we started to come to the realization that the, the doors were going to close. And we started to think about what about our future? And I'll get into tell you a little later what happened that saved us, uh, saving grace to us. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, in fact, I can tell you now when stacks talk about it. When stacks closed in 1975, I'm I, I, he then was co-managing us. Alan said you guys, we were sitting outside a lot watching them padlock the door. He said, okay. He said, now you got two choices. So you guys can break up and go your separate ways or you can go find you someplace to play for a year mm. if it takes that long. And and I want you to play at night and write in the day. And we took his advice. We played at a place called a family affair. We played mm. three nights a week for a solid year and we rented a place in Midtown Memphis, and in the daytime, we wrote songs such as Shake Your Rump to the Funk, such as Too Hot to Stop. In 1976, we got a multi-million dollar contract with Mercury, and the rest was history. So that's okay. So let me go back a little bit. So you guys, uh, you, you dropped Cold Blooded in 74. Stacks yeah. closed and, you know, uh, closed, closed, shut down in 1975. Correct. Now, this is one of the questions I always wanted to, to, to ask, uh, ask okay. an opportunity. That lineup that you had as far as Lloyd and 
and Winston and Charles Bid and all those brothers, um, Harvey and all those guys was was that when did you guys put together what album was that lineup created? Was that you know was the was that the the um the the cold blooded? Do you see what I see? When did y'all? When it was that? it was after that. Uh, prior to prior to going to Mercury, it was James Alexander, myself, Harvey, Winston, uh, the core members of the group. Oh, Charles Allen on trumpet, and uh, that was the core at that point. When we signed, I'm gonna have to look at the album on my wall to see one, two, three, four. We acquired, we acquired, we acquired Michael Beard in for the first album in '76, okay. and that album cover has eight of us on it. Okay, and that was the nucleus up until uh, maybe enjoy. I'm looking at the albums on my wall. <laughs> I have to remember how I many. I mean, people were in it. That, and at, at the time we did Enjoy, it was 10 members. Enjoy was maybe our fifth album at Mercury. But it was eight of us going into the Too Hot to Stop album, which incidentally was our first gold album. And i tell you something else that we always had a saying, one day we're going to go from the family affair to Madison Square. And let me tell you what happened. After we did Family Affair was the club I told you we had to play it for a year. Yes, sir. So... Fast forward to things were going well. We had done our first album at, Sta at, at, at Mercury. Okay. We were at uh, we were at uh, we were in in some we were in Madison Square Gardens. That's where we were playing a concert. And in the middle of the concert, Mercury stopped us and gave us our first gold album. They gave us ten gold albums. So wow. I remember saying one day we're gonna go from the Family Affair to yeah. Madison Square and God made it so happen that that's what happened. So, I mean, it was, that's one of the the, the, the most breathtaking moments I've ever experienced in the band to be given a record. And they interrupted a concert in Madison Square Garden to surprise us with it. So man. that's crazy. Isn't it? That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, yeah. I never knew that. So you guys joined Mercury, I believe 75, you dropped 76. Too hot mm -hmm. to stop in 1976. So, what was it like, man? Like, I what what when I listen to the music that you guys did when you was with Stax Records, it seemed like there was a shift. It was the you, you, you the the rock tone and element. We dropped it. it. We dropped it, a lot it, of it. You kind of left it. You kind of yeah. left it with Stax. We were a funkier band when you went to Mercury. Whose idea was that? Well, it sort of it sort of happened as we were writing the songs to shop for 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 just anybody who would listen. And then Mercury ended up taking us. Now let me tell you, Mercury had Mercury was the label that had the self-contained bands, which were the bands that wrote and played and produced themselves, like the Gap Band, the Commodores, Cool in the Gang, where Confunction came later. Yeah, but the Ohio Players. Right. So we knew we had to compete with those guys. So we 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 start to write songs that were funky uh and and uh a little less rock orientated so we could compete because we knew we had to have the eye candy and the ear candy for Mercury. They were like self-contained funky bands. Yeah. And that's sort of how that evolved. 
when we turned that album in, uh, we got that deal done at over lunch. Wow. After they heard the music. Multi-million dollar deal. That that project, like you said, man, I noticed in 76, I think Confunction. That started the ball the road. They they signed with Mercury in 76 as well. I think they dropped their self-titled project. So you guys were what did you were you guys signed like around the same time? Do you remember them coming in? No, we came first. Now I'm gonna tell you the, the Confunction had been playing behind behind Rufus Thomas. They were in Vallejo, California, but we they were friends of ours. So we talked. We said, man, why don't you guys come to Memphis, man? Come to Memphis. You play behind Rufus Thomas. It'll bring you closer to him. And they did, man. They took I mean, They stepped out on faith. They all came and they moved to some apartments called Greenwood Square. They, yeah. they got uh, two apartments and they all bundled up and stayed there. And ultimately, they got a deal at Mercury behind us and were hot as fish grease, man. So and we and and they never stopped thanking us for that man. They, but but it was them. They stepped out on faith, left Vallejo, California, moved to Memphis, and got a deal at Mercury Records. Now, too hot to stop. The title track, that was a hit, man. Tell me about the making of that. But I want to go to now. We about to get into this catalog. We about to get deep. Yes, yeah, sir. Man. That was. Go ahead. I'm sorry. You no. Know, tell me about the. You know what was that song? What what led to you guys? putting that song together that was that was different uh for not only for you guys but that was very different for you know bands at that time there nothing sounded like it like that when you guys dropped that particular song so that was one of the songs that we wrote while uh playing at the at, at the club you know as i say we wrote two out to stop with it which ended up being the title cut I, I don't know man you know we were just exploring we were just trying to be funky and we were as we started to write and, and produce and, and the songs and, and play, we just got funkier and funkier. And we loved it, man. As I said, we, we dropped the rock overtone so much. And we as a group evolved. We just evolved. And uh at that point we weren't writing too many ballads. They liked Mercury liked us to be a funky party, man. And that's what we were kind of most of the songs that we did were. Uh, were party songs, but we did have a more romantic side uh, for songs as well, you know, which, and every album has Listen. two real big romantic Listen. songs on it. You're ready, Mr. Dawson? You ready to yes, start talking about the catalog? You ready? Yes, sir. All right, so here we go. That Too Hot to Stop album is a classic. Like, we're talking about, we're talking about Spellbound. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Cozy. So when you're telling me you were, you don't feel like you were one of the best, Mr. Dawson, stop it, stop it, stop it. And then, I mean, that baseline, man, talk about that baseline on Spellbound by Mr. Alexander, man. Like, who's, like, I mean, you guys came up with some of the greatest melodies, man, the greatest. Now, did Alan Jones, did he arrange the music as well? Some of it, you know, I mean, a lot of it, he would give us the blueprint and then he would let us go. And uh, a lot of the stuff we stumbled into while we had a place rented and we would just play. And when we heard something we liked, we said, keep that, keep that. And then we would, we would yeah, when the band got to work, then uh, Harvey and I would get to work on lyrics. And it was like magic, man. It was like magic, spellbound, cozy and which is still one of our favorite songs. This got an infectious bass line and uh, 
Uh, and and Harvey had a, had a lot to do with lyrically. He and I lyrically kind of helped to breathe life into that record. But Winston was always the guy who started. And then James, it became our signatures for James playing the bass line. Winston would have a signature uh, 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 keyboard lick. Yeah. And those became our IDs from musically. And of course, it was my stylistic voice that uh, vocally, you could always put those things together and you could find it. You'd always tell a Barcade's record. <laughs> you always tell a Barcade's record. But you know my favorite song on that album. Uh, You're So Sexy? No, no, Sum no, no, no. Which Summer of Our Love. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. I've forgotten the record. So beautifully, man. I'm talking about everything. Was Oh, man, I love how you start that song off, brother, man. I mean, That's an interesting song because you know what? I, I told you that Harvey Winston and myself were the key writers. That song was birthed from our trumpet player. He probably, in the whole time he was in the band, he probably wasn't instrumental in coming up with maybe with two songs. And that he started that idea. And we, we knew it was something to it. He, it. It was just something to it. And we put the lyric to it and we kept his titles. Kept his title and... Uh, that was one of the few times he ever came up with a song, and that was great. And that was that that was like magic. I think we did that song came in, in one take. One take. One take. Absolutely right. There were very few songs that happened like that. Anticipation was one. There was one take. Man, that's that's my baby. That's what they call a magic man. That's what you be looking for when you have that floor, and it happens so rarely. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, how was it, man? Like you know, at that time, we're talking about. Not only just on Mercury Records, man, with Confunction and you guys got the Ohio players, man. What was it like just the, the competition? Now we're talking about uh, uh, bands, man. You know, around this around this time, you guys were like at the forefront as far as bands. So who were some of the, the, the biggest acts that were you was, I would say, maybe challenges to, to you guys, man? No doubt. The Ohio players, they were number one at the label. When we got there, I mean, they were and they were and they were uppity and they would speak to people, you know, they, they were making lots, they were making lots of money. And uh, they were like, well, we're the kings of this label. So, you know, we're selling we, we're going platinum every time. So welcome here. Welcome here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. But you better get in the studio and you better work hard because we're going to have a number one every time we do it. And so but it was friendly. It was friendly. It was friendly. It got to be friendly. You know, it wasn't at first. And as a matter of fact, Diamond and I now are such good friends. He and his wife and my wife and I are just such good friends. He's a drummer, yes, sir. But back then it was like they were they were like the hot guys, and we and you know they just looked down yeah. on everybody. And but you know what? When we got on tour and got on that stage, they understood who we were. Yeah, yeah. They they, they didn't want to come behind us at all. We put the fire on them. That's dope. That's dope, man. Yes, I that that um that too hard to stop album man i had to get into that man i, I love that particular project and um what was it like man like i said after you know here you got you, you go ahead and drop this 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 album and that like how did you guys feel about that album you know personally we were very confident in that album. we knew it was going to be uh we knew it was going to be one of our bigger projects uh, okay. probably the biggest that we had up at that point that was our first album that was our introductory album at at uh at mercury we went on to like i said we did 11 albums in our tenure there and five of them were gold and one of them was platinum so that's yeah. over 500 you know so as they said football you know 
yeah, yeah. It, it was a great, it was a great, and 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 might I say they were a good label to have the Barcades could function, the Gap Band, get, uh, Ohio Players, uh, the Commodores. Uh, all of us were like really, really, really big groups. So they knew the essence of what they call the self-contained bands that played their stuff, produced their stuff, wrote their stuff. And all they did was give us a budget. They didn't put producers with us. We did our own stuff. That's dope, man. That's, yes, that's sir. Dope. They give us a lot of lead way. They didn't bother us. They didn't bother us. Just turn the album in every year or two albums, whatever our deal was, and we leave you alone. Who was running uh, Mercury around that time? Um, Charlie Fatch. Oh, Charlie uh, Fatch. Charlie uh-huh. Fatch was there when we first got there, and he fell in love with the band. They were a very respectable label, man. Uh, very. Res- they were not only they were they were in it for the long haul. What I mean by that is, if you didn't have a big project. It wasn't like it is today. You know, you only flavor today. If you don't have a good project, labels drop you. Now they would say, "Well, we'll get it on the next one." That's the way they were. They were involved in the career aspect right. of their artists, not just flavor of the day. No, no doubt because I remember, um, you know, Confunction when they dropped their album, their self-titled album, it had no hits. Like you guys was out of here. But yeah, there, when you guys dropped both of your albums in '76. Confunctions, their first album didn't have no hits, but they, like you said, they were patient. And then yeah. 77 comes and they got fun and confunctionizer. So I always like you, like you said, man, what do you think about that as far as um, you know, artist development, you know? Very essential for a record label, you know, uh, and I say that for many di- different aspects. You know, they were concerned about the future uh of an act at that point. And um that's something that, uh, that that we don't have now in in record labels. There, it's like I said, it's flavor of the day. They don't really like smart artists because they can't pull nothing on you. So they take a lot of kids and and give them these uh, predatory contracts, and they're really not interested anymore. You know, it's really all about money. They've actually taken a lot of the fun out of the business. Back then, if you were making money for the labels, the label was very interested. Yeah. And they were patient with you, and uh, they would see you through. You know, if you had a, if you had to turn an album in every year, as I said, if 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 one of the albums failed to do well, and at that point, we were only putting seven or eight songs on the album. That's always that was required. You know, uh, but it was I, I I miss those days. I really really do. And having had a label of my own since two thousand and three, and my new song now, which we'll talk about later, is on my album as well, which my I share with my son. We were on that label. I understand how important it is to be concerned about your artists. Okay. Now, what's the difference? Like, you know, joining Mercury Records uh, opposed to Stax Records. You know, I, I believe was uh, Al Bell was running. What now? Did Al Bell run Stax by himself, or did he have? He and he was the vice president. Jim Stewart was the original president. He was a white guy. But as time went on, it got to be a little challenging for him, and they got in trouble. And then uh, Jim stepped. Uh, Jim Stewart stepped down and Al Bell became the president. Al was a very smart guy, very smart, uh, and still is. He's one of our mentors right now. An oh. incredible guy, but it just he fell prey to some stuff beyond his control with the with the uh with the label at that point. Uh right. and that was just that that was part of the demise of Stax. And I understand now there was just Motown, Philly International, and Stax. Those were the three labels that were african-american owned labels yeah, so yeah. I, I, there were people 
there were people after those labels because they was made we were making too much noise man we was making too much money between the three of them so we fell victim we being stacks fell victim to uh, a trap so to speak a financial trap okay yeah yeah okay um think of uh when i go i want to just go back touch on this um i always wanted if i got got man i remember um facts records man uh there was a brother named tony hester man um mm -hmm. used to write and produce with the dramatic that's correct do you remember remember tony hester i, I certainly you remember him? i didn't know him I, I didn't know him personally but i had met him several times and uh the dramatics were on the label you know uh, on stacks records and and yeah, we yeah, played they on do uh, we played on the emotions first record caller uh so i can so i can love you yeah 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 that yeah. was dope i, I just yeah. you know it was so many you guys had so many uh jewels on stacks records man and you know then going over to mercury you know I always always wondered how you know um what was some of the lessons that you learned from stacks records heading over into you know heading into you know going over to mercury records the first the first thing we had we, we really carried over into um mercury was really making sure that we were properly represented from the attorney okay. standpoint because in okay. you know not to you know not it, water under the bridge at stacks we were very very young I was 19 when I joined the band. So, you know, a lot of things get past you. You don't have a yes. lot of good representation and um, things that you publishing and stuff like that, you weren't overly yes. concerned with. We were terribly concerned with at Mercury yes. and we made some very, very, very astute and good deals throughout our whole tenure. Yes. Uh, publishing yes. uh, everything. Our contracts are first class. We had a first class attorney, Jim Zumwa, who is still our attorney. Wow. That's all amazing. he did. And that was his first deal was our deal. That's amazing. That's yes, amazing. sir. So 1977, man, you got flying high on your love, man. And um, you know, this th this particular project, another one, man. You guys hit it out the park, man. Um, the title, the, the title track. Um, I wanna I wanna talk about that, man. Like, what was some of the um what were some of the the the, the favorite songs that you perform uh off that particular uh that particular album man because i got three but you know okay. name, name some of the songs that were on it because i mean I <laughs> i'm gonna go I'm a, you know what i'm gonna do you you remember attitudes oh of course i, I have an incredible story to tell you about that let's go i told you right. so, I, I i we can't we can't touch every album but i'm gonna try to cover the the, the ones that the ones that means a lot to me so that attitudes man that has been tell you, i talked about the magic that often happens in the studio so let me just tell you this story about attitudes the reason why the song was so short we had not written a third verse to the record but we wanted to record it we were recording it live so alan said larry just just get in the middle of the floor and sing so the guys could hear you and you can just give them a vibe mm. i said well we ain't got a third verse he said don't worry about it so yeah. fast forward we recorded the record yeah. i sang the vocal and yeah. when we finished alan said everybody get off your axe leave the studio and we said what's the matter he said we have just had magic 
I said, well, we don't have a third verse. He said, don't worry about it. He said, we're not going to we're not going to re-record anything. That's the only record that we maybe one other record. Not, may, that might be the only record that we ever did that my scratch vocal ended up being the vocal that we kept. I didn't do anything else to the record. He wouldn't let us do it. He was almost in tears. He said, that's a great record. He said, you're not going to do you're not going to outdo it by cutting it again. So just leave it alone. And he wouldn't let us fool with it. See, it was two minutes and it wasn't three minutes long. And the DJs always asked us, why is this song so short? And we never told them. That's one thing about you guys, man. Like when I think of the Barcades, man, unlike a lot of, I don't want to say unlike, because it was a lot of great bands back then, but mm -hmm. you got album artists, man. You guys Correct. were album artists. Like you didn't have the, all every single didn't hit number one. They did good. Yeah. You guys made great albums, Thank man. You. How important was that to you and, 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 and to the band as far as not just being a singles act, but being an act that can actually put together a body of work? It was most important. Remember who I told you was on the, on the label? You had the Commodores. You had the Gap Band led by Charlie Wilson. You had the Cool, you had cool in the Game. You understand what I'm saying? You had Ohio Players. They were platinum selling albums. We had to get it, man. You know what I'm saying? To, to be, we were in tall cotton, you know, and very competitive, and rightfully so. These were incredible groups, and there were some others that I, I can't think of, but it were about there were about seven or eight bands that Mercury had signed, and they were signing all of the good bands. So we had to get it. I mean, gold got to be something that we said, oh, of course we'll go gold, but we're trying to get platinum now because Ohio players were going platinum every time, yeah, you know. Man. You know, so we were, it was very competitive. Now we all knew each other. So it wasn't like we were just mad at each other or anything, but we knew we had to get it, you know, and they knew who we were. <laughs> they knew we were on the studio and on the road because we had an incredible road show. Yeah, yeah. And, incredible so, road show. and that's what I want to, I want to talk about next, man. Like how important, man, was it, you know, I heard, um, I believe Frankie Beverly uh, said this one, one day, man. It's very important to back your wax, you know. Right. One That's thing right. about you guys, man, when I hear you guys live, you sound better live than you actually sounded on record, which is hard to do. It's hard to do, but you know what? It came easy to us because uh, we were a live band, you know. Uh, not to say our records weren't, our records were sort of controlled. But our live show had no bound, no guardrails. We could just go all the way out of the box. We spent a lot of money to make our show uh, incredible. Use a lot of theatrics, you know, bombs, uh, fire, smoke, uh, just look, signs, yeah, yeah. snakes, everything, man. We we had it, and and even when we didn't have a popular record, so to speak, we've had twenty top ten records. Yes. But when we didn't have a popular record. The road show was so spectacular that people would love to come see us. We would sell out everywhere and we were headlining. Even we would headline shows that we were probably the only act that didn't have. All, right. all our only acts probably right. had number one, number two records. But see, our show was so strong, man. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like you guys, when I think of the, think of the Barcades, man, I think of album. You guys were album artists. There were certain bands, certain groups, and I'm not going to say any names, but they had great singles. Sure. When you, when you listen to the albums, it was it didn't it didn't hold up as the single. 
and that uh that particular uh flying hot hey man mr dawson by any chance do you guys have any footage of like those like any concerts who who has that we're lucky to have some things but you know we're talking um we're talking a career that's you know that spans five decades you know yeah. so footage from the earlier concerts are very very rare i i, I have a good archive of stuff but footage that uh a lot of footage got away from us, you know. Uh, but okay. I would tell you uh, there was one spectacular con, one spectacular tour that we did. That was uh, in '77 with George Clinton mm. on the Parliament Fund, on the uh, Mothership tour. We did 90 days, and all of them were sold out, with the exception of about eight, which was like three fourths. Yeah. And uh, after we came off of that tour, I mean, we started to headline ourselves because Cameo opened up. Okay, co-star, and yeah. uh, that launched our career, our live live show career, bursted after that. You know, we we were just so sought after and making incredible money for those times. See, that's the thing. Like you guys deserve that because you you know you put on such a great a great live show. You know, I always felt like you know your live show was just was was phenomenal. So. You know, salute to you guys for that, man. You guys was 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 extraordinary. So look, so 1978 come, and I ain't gonna go through every year, but I just okay. we gonna get up to today because I know what you got going on, brother. Listen, okay, you, I got you, brother. Okay, 78. You dropped two projects. Uh, you drop um, you 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 dropped a project. Uh, money uh -huh. talks. You mm -hmm. drop money talks, and mm -hmm. you drop shine. Absolutely. Now, now that money talks project. It did not sound like the current Barcase at that at that time. What, and, I, what? and I'll tell you why. But it produced and hit. Now talk about that. Okay, so when Stacks closed, the masters were bought by a company called Fantasy Records. Okay. We were we had we were on maybe uh, you probably know better than I do. I don't know maybe that third or fourth album at Mercury. And Shine was the current single, but we had cut a song called Holy Ghost in go. 1975. And it happened to be part of a bunch of songs that Fantasy had bought. So Fantasy had been waiting in the wings to say, when those guys come out with their next single, we're gonna drop this and we're gonna take advantage of them being out, being out. Well, consequently, it worked for us because we we got afraid to drop Holy Ghost because it was it was such a controversial song. Yeah. We, we cut it in 75 and we boxed it. We we we, we put it, we said we're not gonna release it right now. Fantasy released the record. Yeah. Shine was like number oh, Shine was already top 10, but when they released Holy Ghost, it broke in New Orleans and we it was a scorcher. Ah, it yeah. went straight to the top. Ah, DC, yeah. it went, I mean, East Coast ate it up and then the country did it. It got to be one of our biggest records. Yeah. So we ended up with two records in the top five. But that's the thing. You guys were so ahead of your time. And even though you released an, a song that was like three years old, when when we heard that uh, that song, when that song dropped, it sounded fresh. Yep. It, it, it was. It was one of those. It was one of those songs. It's probably one of the funkiest records we ever cut. Now, Ooh. the rest of the album that they had on Money Talks were takes that we didn't want. That's why they got them, you know, because we they got it. And it, it was Mean Mistreater. Which was a remake. Uh, there was some other odd songs on there. I like this, the title track, "Money Talks." I like that. Yeah. One. Now we did "Money Talks," and that was something that we probably would have eventually released. So that, they, was, that was one of the better ones. Yeah. 
That Great was song. Good lyric. Good lyric. Yeah. That was dope. But look, yeah. I want to go back. I want to go back. I forgot to mention this. So on Too Hot to Stop, you guys, you know, the title track, the yeah. movie Super Bad used that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, we made a lot of money from that, too. Yes. We uh, had songs in uh, Spies Like Us had Soul Finger. Uh, uh, head of state had too hot to stop in it. Yeah, and that's the, the 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 movie you just mentioned had it. Uh, kicking it old school had freak show. Um, we've had songs in about seven major films. Wow, all all and they and most of them were too hot to stop and freak show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those that that and and that's it's a lot of money in those things. A lot of money. A lot of money. No doubt. See, it goes to show you that, you know, people are paying attention. Like your your your, your legacy is we, we 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 people like myself, man. I'm <laughs> going to do I'm going to do my part as, as far as bridging the gap and bridging the generation and preserving what you guys do, man, because you guys you guys are amazing, man. You guys are amazing. You are you you are very astute. You 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 up. Oh, I'm asking you about songs, man. Because like I said, I'm creating so much music. It's it. it it escapes me sometimes to try and go some some, but but you on your job, man. You know. Hey, bro, <laughs> and that's I, cool. I love it. I love it. I, I love appreciate it. that, brother. Because I know, yes, you know, sir. I look at I look at a lot of interviews and and I try to do I try to spin it in a different direction. And I notice I know what you got going on now, brother. Don't don't get it. I I I, I pay attention. Okay. I'm on your show. I'm on your show. My you're done. Yeah, but you know, I, I feel like these songs and this catalog needs to be talked about. We can talk about the music industry and all that good stuff. And that's fine. We, 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 we're mm -hmm. doing that as well. But we got to put some respect on that catalog. We got to. I, 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 I ain't mad at you, man. I ain't mad at you. You know, uh, there were, there have been, each album has a story of its own. Okay. It's sort of, uh, if you if you listen to the songs and, and the album, you can kind of feel the band evolving. There was a, uh, Album we did called um, it had the ball headed guy on it. It was as one. I love and that one. So we, uh, say it through love. Woo, man, you just too much, man. You see, say see you, you, you know your business. <laughs> through love. Oh my Absolutely. god! But we were going through a thing. <laughs> we were going through. We were we were in a metamorphosis doing that album. We were we were very concerned about. We, we were in a, in, a, in a spiritual mode in that album, you know, and uh, the songs reflected that. The album color cover reflected that. Yeah. Um, it was it was that was a very interesting. It wasn't one of our biggest albums, but it was, but it was a special album to us because the band was in a real real good place, man, oh. at that time, you know. And uh, if you just think about the album that we did. Um, with the street lights on it, uh, that was uh, Night dangerous. Cruise. Night, Night Cruise, Night Cruise, Night Cruise. Night Cruise. They had Hit and Run, Traffic Jammer. All of the songs were about about, about the night and uh, the nightlife. You know what I'm saying? See now, you know better not do. I, I remember the album cover. Sometimes I remember the night. That Night Cruising. Oh, it was a great album. We had so much fun, and uh, yeah. Rick James and I were very very good friends, and. Okay. Uh, he commended me. He said, that was one of y'all best albums, you know. Yeah, that Night Cruising. That Night yeah. Cruising, man. Was yeah. that, that, that particular album. 
it, it, it was phenomenal. I, I wanna I wanna go back for a second though. I wanna sure. talk. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I wanna talk about 1979. You guys released, I believe, this is your biggest album, the Enjoy album. Enjoy. It was. It was. And you guys got um, you know, you your body. You got exactly, exactly. Anticipation. Running in and out of uh, out of your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. You know, so you know what was what was the inspiration for that? Because that that ended up being. Did you like what was the inspiration as far as putting that particular project? If you can go back to nineteen, I know it's a long time ago, but yeah, that that album is probably my second favorite. I'm gonna tell you my first one, but that's probably my second favorite Barcase project. That during that time, the band uh, we were sort of felt we were under a little bit of pressure. We had come off of three gold albums and we we were trying to go somewhere else top the last album uh that's one of the best album covers we've ever done uh it it was just a stellar album cover uh we did that here in you added you added some more members we had that was the time we had 10 members we picked up uh Sherman guy who played the Timbali solo on Holy Ghost. And we picked up, I kind of like my clone, Mark Bynum, who was our mold keyboard player, who got to be a, such a part of our sound because he was playing Moog bass and yeah. James was, was playing uh, acoustic bass. And we would double most of our lines in, in songs like She Talks to Me With a Body, uh, Hit and Run, Move Your Boogie Body. All those songs had double, both of them were playing the same lines. And for our fans, they understand that's part of our sound. Yeah. But we uh we were taking a step up, so to speak. And I think it was reflected in the cover itself. It was right. a classiness about it. Yeah, yeah. Nah, yeah, no yeah, yeah. That sort of speaks to what we were still funky, still partying. And of course, we had the legendary anticipation on that album. <laughs> Man, I, I was just watching you perform that uh on Sinbad's um. You know he does that little cruise thing or whatever he does. Yeah, um, yeah, sin, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sinbad, uh, sound, brother, you sound as good on that. I believe that was maybe about 15, 20 years ago. But brother, you yeah. sound amazing, man. Like, and Thank I hear you. I, 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 we gonna talk about that in a little bit. Uh-huh. I just, you know, I, one thing I noticed about you, the voice, man. You did, you, you, you really, your voice has really held up through the years, brother. Like what? What do you do as far as you know that's that's different as far as just making sure that you still have a a, a voice that's good enough to go out and perform, you know? Um well, you know, just taking good taking good care of yourself. And like I said, I, I've been fortunate, I've been married to the same wonderful woman for 50 years. Okay. She's taking good care of me, man, and she helps me take care of myself. Okay. You know, I'm a very family man, family oriented. So uh, and not to say I've been super clean, you know, I've had my vices throughout the years, but praise Lord, he's got me through and over all of that stuff. But even now I'm celebrating my 70th birthday next year and, um, and released a record that has just been phenomenal for me. We'll get to talk about that later, but I t- I've taken care of myself. And you know what? The one thing I'm telling you, man, even in our drug days, the band was so afraid of getting the ass kicked, man. <laughs> we had a plan, no matter what we're doing, at a certain point, we all going to bed because we got to be on stage against Charlie Wilson tomorrow night yeah. and then Larry Blackman and Cameo, who was incidentally on the label as well, doing, you know, through on the Mercury label. So we never liked the idea of getting our butt kicked, man. 
So we go to bed no matter what we were doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we went to bed and made sure we were all bright eyed and clear eyed and clear mind for the next day. That was a special time, man. Like, and then, and when I think about you guys, man, you guys, you guys didn't just have the music, man. You had the look, man. Like, like you and Lloyd, you guys really stood out, man. <laughs> you know, tell me a little bit about Lloyd Smith, man. Like, he played. He he had some of the greatest guitar licks, man, on in funk music history, man. What type of, you know, I want to talk about the members, man. Let's talk about these members, man. Lloyd was a special guy. Lloyd, everybody loved him. The ladies absolutely flipped over him. He was part Indian, and he had just an incredible flock of hair, man, you know. His whole family was just blessed with really, really good genes. He's from Memphis? Um, he was a very, he was from Philadelphia. Okay. Yep, he came from a music family. Just a really, really nice guy. He was an entrepreneur. He always had a business. Okay. He always had a car lot or something because, you know, we were making money. So okay. we were free to do other businesses if we wanted to. But he was an entrepreneur. He always had something going. Uh, we used to call him Mr. Haney, you know, because he always <laughs> he always had a sideline deal or a sideline sell you a car, you know, or, you know, sell you a house or, you know. <laughs> he was an entrepreneur, but it was all cool. A very tight guy. Didn't he had every dime he ever made? Oh, okay. He didn't, make, he didn't spend it on anything, and ended up having sixteen kids. Sixteen. Sixteen kids. Wow. Never had a mama uh, 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 baby drama. Never, never. All of his kids look exactly like them. We never knew. We found out just over through the years how many kids the boy really, really had. Where, He's where, one of my dearest friends, man. Where's Lloyd at, man? Is he still in the He's area? He's in Philadelphia, not in the greatest of health. You know, when I go to Philly, or I go to D.C., I roll him out in the wheelchair, put his guitar, and I make him play on stage with me every year. And I let the audience know, this is the guy who played this song, who played this lick, and uh, I do it every time we go to Philly, man. Man, shout out to Lloyd Smith, man. Shout, shout out to Lloyd Smith. Yes, sir. Man, um, uh, Harvey, man, he's another interesting guy, man. Uh, he always, you know, he, he look he looks so like a kid man like to me he he did he kind of when i when i when i hear him play and then i see him i'm like he looks like a child man what was what was like talk a little bit about these members man like he, he, was, he was by far the smartest guy in the band i mean oh. when i say smart he was just the wittiest guy he was just the most intelligent guy he would help when we got stuck writing the song harvey would always come up with it he would always have that missing line that we needed or that missing when we get stuck on a verse, Harvey would say, you know, he would come back and he'd say, here you go. Here's a second verse. And it would always be cool. He was older than we were. Harvey uh, was older. Harvey was, Harvey was about four years older than all of us. So no he had another opinion about everything. You know, he, he was, a, he, he was just a very smart guy, man very smart with his money with his time harvey was in bed every night at 10 o'clock no matter what on the road off the road he was very disciplined very very disciplined guy when we uh he was well he's my fishing buddy he and i love to go fishing we would fish every day that we were out so uh and he lives around the corner for me always did in the last 30 years he's always lived in five minutes from me we still we still make a lot of money together, you know, from our orders and stuff. So we have some big checks that we have enjoyed spending. <laughs> I love to hear that, man. I love I love to see you guys still around and still doing your thing, man. It's it's, yes, it's, it's beautiful. 
is is beautiful, man. So, Mr. Uh, Mr. Dawson, I want to ask this is another question that I always wanted to ask you. Sure. Background vocals. The background vocals were so distinctive, man. Like who was singing like on running in and out of my life? Who sings that falsetto? So that was one of the only songs that I ever wrote for anybody else to lead. I wrote that for Sherman Guy. Sherman Guy was the guy who played timbales in the band. And I, I don't know, for some reason, I said, I'm going to write a song that I don't have to sing. And uh, that key was very high. Yeah. And so I wrote the song. Harvey and Winston and I rewrote the song. And uh, he had a little bit of a time getting it because the key was so high. But he got through it. And and all of the high notes on all, all of the falsetto parts, on yeah. stuff like Some of Our Love and stuff like that, they had recalls for very high notes. It was the trumpet player, Charles Allen, and it was Sherman. And uh, the, the voices that was more like mine was, was Mark Bynum. Some of the songs me and Mark did all the background on because he sounded almost exactly like I did, you know? If, if, if sometimes I if we if we sang the same parts, I can tell me from him. You know, he was very close to me, which is kind of funny to do because I got a kind of wacky voice, so to speak. You know, but he was very good at it. Yeah, absolutely. That's dope. I wouldn't say it was wacky, man. I, I like I said, yeah, yeah well, it's different. It was different. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. I would trade your voice. Then, if I could choose between being. Uh, uh, a professional NBA superstar, man. Like you had the you you not had, you have the voice and you had and you have the swagger to match, man. Like I'm just I, when I I just could think, man. Like how was it being Larry Dotson, man? Like back then, brother. Like you had it all, man. Like look, like looking at you, brother. Bro, I'm not saying it was because I look at you now and you still right. fly to hell. Let's not make let's make no mistake about it. Still <laughs> fly as hell, but you had this level of confidence, man, and yeah, this uh, this this level of confidence and black excellence about yourself, man. Where did that come from? It came from uh, knowing that uh, people kind of got it when they saw me on stage. I didn't have to pretend. Uh, I didn't. I never liked to be pretentious, you know. When I had my hair long and straight, I didn't have no problem with it because I wanted to be different. Yeah. And and the people got it, man. And and they didn't have they didn't have a guy like me to to represent them. You know what I'm saying? The white folks had Mick Jagger, you know, and yeah. uh, I and, and and my black folks had Larry Dotson. You know, you I represented I represented a difference. You know, and. Yeah. Uh, I was just that guy, and that's what I called him. I called myself in the third person that guy. When I look you, at him on the wall, I said, that, that guy is. You was one, you, you was definitely one of a kind when I like was I, very I was very and then I'm gonna tell you who who really, really emulated me a lot. He used to take pictures of me because of Rick James, who was my friend, man. He took a lot of the swag and the this and the that of Larry yeah. D. He yeah. he 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 carved him out a, a cool little look too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's 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 dope, man. So look, you know, Memphis, the sound of music, not just in Memphis, but the sound of music has changed, man. You guys, you know, um, you you drop you guys dropped a lot of great projects on uh Mercury Records, man, Night Cruising, um, you know, as one, and you know, just uh just a lot of great music on Mercury Records, but mm -hmm. music 
music uh, eventually it, it, it changed. Um, it did. Now, this had to do with that. Yeah. So so you know, with music changing, how did you guys remain? How did you guys like stay relevant? Like how how what was the creative process as far as did the creative process ever change from like that disco the late seventies because. When I listen to the 80s, man, you guys were still sounding amazing. You know, so what was that like? Like, as far as, you know, a lot of bands was downsizing. And you guys were, you know. You know what? Go ahead. No, that's it. That, that's all I was saying. Like, you know, a lot of, a lot of bands were downsizing. And you guys were still, like, still kicking, man. And Mercury, they, was, they still had your back, it, it seemed. They did. You know, they trusted us. And, uh. Disco was like disco did something to music, man. Disco, what disco did, it ran good bands out of a place to play because club owners said, Well, I don't need your band because I got this guy, this DJ guy, and he all he has to do is sit up here all night and play these disco records, yeah. and uh, I can let my band go. And that's and, and that's what happened. And clubs, so live bands ceased to be relevant, yeah. and uh, and then you start having in the studio. These engineers who were making records and they never went out to perform. And I call them one-hit wonders. Meanwhile, here you got you got these real good bands with no places to play. So what we did, we understood all that. So thus came Sexomatic, and uh, and then other uh, other songs that we created that had a disco uh, imprint to it, but it wasn't really disco. It was still funky barcades, but we taking it up a notch, and and we we twisted and turned. In, in five generations, man, which we've had hit records in, in 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 five generations, and that was difficult to do. No, you guys but, were definitely ahead of your time. Like when I think, like when you think about that synth era of type yeah. of B, you, this is one particular song. I don't know if you remember it, but Body Fever from the As One album. Yes, Body Fever, absolutely, absolutely. Listen to that song. That song basically was the direction that R&B ended up going to. If you really look at it, like from the Midnight Star, and you know, mm -hmm. Midnight Star has you know ele electricity, the techno, techno era, yeah, yeah, and and it seemed like you guys were on a cutting edge of that. You know, did you guys realize that at the time? Of course, uh, of course, we did. It one of the one of the things that I, I would never forget was the day that we had to tell Michael Beard, our drummer, so when we we're not going to use you on this record. We're going to use a drum machine, you know. Uh, I remember that. I remember that very day. And he ended up, he went and bought a drum machine. And he started to program it because rather than getting mad about it, he said, you know, it's kind of like when the goings get tough, tough get going. Right, you right. know, and 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 we, we, we uh, adhered to it. We didn't give in to it. Right. But we understood that we had to, twist our sound a little bit because we had to stay on the radio yeah. you know it was all about staying on the radio but not selling yourself out so no. some of our records uh had a disco inference to it but we never we never fell victim to that we were still funky because in those ages we had some of our funkiest records hit and run talk to me with a body all those records came out during that time move your boogie body you know we still were funky but and and the disco it came and it went yeah yeah and, but we didn't but we didn't right I know, like I said, a lot of a lot of bands were downsizing. Now, did now at that time, you like you said, you know, Michael did he ended up getting the drum machine. Did did you guys lose any? When did you guys start started to 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 downside? Did you guys ever? 
Because I don't when I look at it, I don't I don't remember. It seemed like the same members were still there. We no, we did we we didn't downsize at all. We we can, when we got to be ten members, uh, we stayed ten members yeah. until um, all through the eighties. James left for five years, uh, and uh, I, let me. I'm just trying to think who was the first to leave. Um, maybe Charles Allen was the first to leave. Okay, the trumpet player. We didn't replace him. Okay. Um. We didn't replace Harvey. We lost the horn section, mm. uh, and I and I guess that was we never replaced the horn section. Uh, we we never did. We we then became a seven man group, okay. and that was kind of on through for for a long period of time. James came back after five years, and the nucleus became the four of us. Mm. Mm. As sort of like Earth Wind and Fire did. Earth Wind and Fire. Came from like twelve or thirteen people down to three people. For yeah. the not that it was just, it was still a bigger band, but the focus of the group became on just the four of us. Okay, now I believe, yeah. man, I believe like that was the last. That was like the last big hit, I believe, right? Which one was that? Sexomatic. Uh, actually, no. Uh, on on Mercury. Uh, on Mercury, was it? It might have been no, uh, no. Certified true went to number five. Struck by you and I, our that last album, the Contagious album, uh, has had Certified True, which went number number five. Struck by you went to number two. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm looking at it right know, here. We, we had we had uh, after James left, uh, we had about we four songs. Freak, yeah. freak, show, freak show went to number number two, certified true. Absolutely number right. Man, yeah. man, y'all, and that's the thing. You know, you know, a lot of bands, you know, they didn't transition well um as far as going into the 80s. And mm. it seemed like you guys and the Commodores, um, confunction, like you know, a lot of lot mm -hmm. of you know, what what do you think what was kind of prevented them from you know going into the 80s and and and, and transitioning and what separated what what uh separated uh you guys as far as or what was the difference as far as you know that that yeah. trend for for me uh as i became more the leader of the band after james left um i understood that if we didn't write the songs right. we knew what hit records were the ingredients we would then kind of uh solicit so we've always been producible as a singer, I've always been producible. If you were a well-known producer and I said, well, you know, I'm gonna write four songs, but I want you to come produce three songs on me. Okay. Uh, and, and that was something that some of the bands couldn't quite come to grips with. They kept thinking that they could do it themselves and they lost out. So the, towards the end, Alan Jones, he worked he with- No, he actually did. He only worked with uh, outside of Isaac Hayes and he did some stuff with John, uh, with uh, Bolton. Uh, he 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 spent his whole career working and producing the Barclays up until his till his heart attack, which he which killed him. Okay. And after that, we had to seek for songs we didn't write ourselves. We had to get other producers. Or Mercury would would say, "Would you mind letting these guys do two songs on you?" Yeah. Um, that fact. Um, R.J. and his wife co-wrote "Certified True" with me in Detroit. I went mm -hmm. there and we did about four songs. 
So the Animal Project um in in 89, which was I believe your last project on Mercury. Yeah. Yeah. Um Alan Jones, he didn't produce anything on that cuz he No, no, he he had died by that time, yeah. He passed away at 87. Yeah. That album was produced by um Sly Stones, I can't think of his name. Sly Stones, old man, he did three songs and a couple of guys that were ex-members of Cameo. Okay. Did, they did Animal. Uh, they did Are You Available? Yeah. Uh, we didn't have. We didn't really have a hit record in that album. It wasn't a bad album. It just yeah. we we just didn't hit the money on that one. And then our contract was up at that album. And at that point, um, it got into my DNA that I wanted to start my own label. So James and I formed out. I had a label called Right Now Records. He had a label called JEA Records. Okay. We formed together and uh, we started our own record label here in Memphis. Now, now, Mr. Dawson, you know, during those those uh the, the stacks, uh, well, I'm gonna say the Mercury era. Um, mm -hmm. did you ever decide like did, did the thought ever cross your mind as far as like going out and becoming a solo, a solo act? Never. Never. Never, never. And I said that quickly because it never did. Never, never, never. I was the least single of the barcades, and that was all I ever thought about. Was I asked to? Yes, but I, I told everybody no. You know, I no, nope, I don't I'm not entertaining that. James and I were close, man, and Winston Harvey were close. We had come through a lot. We had got to be a team, uh, and uh, we enjoyed that. You know, we enjoyed the success of the challenge of every album trying to trying to you know make it one more top 10 record but you know something most people don't know we've never had number one record and i'll tell you why we started when we were at mercury records we started releasing in november okay guess who else always released in november michael jackson michael jackson <laughs> so our records oh, were getting you're right two. you're right you're right yeah, and he wouldn't we could never outlast him and he would stay number one for so long. We would be coming up there trying to bump him. There wasn't no bumping Michael Jackson. And of all things, when we said, what a release period, we've always, we picked the wrong one. And we never had, we've had 20 top 10 records. Right. But never a number one. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's amazing. Man. You know what, Mr. Dawson, the thing about you guys, man, it don't matter because you guys are royalty, man. And you guys were album artists, man. When I look, I'm looking at your catalog, I'm like, there's not a bad album. Like even, as you guys transitioned in, you know, from the seventies to the eighties, man, you guys did not, the, the, you guys, you guys kept up with the times and were able to stay fresh, you know. Yeah. And, you know when when midnight well star, midnight star as far as the bands, midnight star, Atlantic star, and all, like you guys held your own against those guys. Absolutely, all those bands were opening for us because we just had a. A great stage show. We were revered by the promoters. We were decent guys. Yeah. We were men of our word. We were honest people. We were businessmen. And having so much, uh, having such a long career, right. uh, the the business guys trusted us because they knew we knew what we was doing. Okay. Okay. And and yeah. thing, you know, Merc you guys were on Mercury. I don't think there's no other band as far as uh, black uh, music. That stayed with a label as long as you guys did. Yeah, eleven albums is a long time. Not even, not even know how players did that. And they were yeah. there. We got that. We were doing well with them. We made some really good business moves. Yeah. I, I, and uh, they liked it. They liked us. You know, right. we 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 uh, even though we didn't turn music in on time all the time, but 
<laughs> and we got suspended a lot, but but they knew we were going to turn the album and they could count on us. We had a long career there. Who were some of your, who were some of the your, your uh, label mates that you was you know really close with at, at Mercury? Confunction. Confunction was like our our, our, our little brothers. Mike Cooper and uh, Felton. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but we enjoyed all of them. You know, like Charlie Wilson is one of my great, one of my dearest friends to this day. You know, when he was with the Gap Band, we were all good friends. We had kind of like a lead singer thing. You know, we were all <laughs> lead singer guys. You know, the bass players had a bass player thing. Little, you know, so the lead singers had a little lead singer league. We all hung out together and had a great time. Okay, so so here we are. Now it's it's it's, it's the nineties, and you you guys left. Uh, now before I go to that. Yeah, you know, I want to talk about the death of Alan Jones. Um, how did that affect you guys as far as, uh, you know, wanting to, you know, even go forward? Man, it was Alan died while talking to two of the guys on the phone. He had his heart attack there. He didn't actually die, but he, he had the heart attack while talking to two guys mm. on the phone with a conference call. Alan was like our best friend. A mentor. Um, mm. He was. He 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 was. Um, man, he was everything. You know, he was just everything to us. Uh, and every band had one. Earth, Wind, and Fire had one. The Commodores had a, had a guy just was very close to you. Was help produce you. Help got you through hard times and was there through all the things you celebrated in your life. Yeah. Uh, so it was very difficult, but it was not. Uh, a really big shock. Alan drank uh, in the run of a day. He would drink ten cups of coffee. He would have a five-pound bag of sugar wouldn't last any time in the studio. He would stay wow. up for days writing, and 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 we would stay in the studio for two days sometimes recording. He was a studio rat, but he had a real, real. He 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 didn't take as good a care of itself as he should have. He wasn't did no drugs, just worked right. too hard. Right, right. He just worked worked too hard and his right. heart couldn't take it. Didn't give his uh his body, you know, any rest. No, he just and he wouldn't we would beg him and he just would he just no we gotta turn this album in or we've got to do this or we've got this soul train performance or we've got this. I gotta get you out he's always I mean it was like incredible. I never met any anybody like him in my entire life like him. The outfits that you see us with on those album covers, Alan designed them. And wow. watch that. The chain that the drummer wore was yeah. made out of silver dollars. Alan drilled holes in every one of them Whoa. to make the vest for him. The vest I have on uh, on, on watch that. He, he made that vest. He he put all the chains one by one. He, he was that guy, man. It was like incredible. Yeah, man. I, you know what, Mr. Dawson, man, I appreciate you uh, talking about that, brother, because he loved you guys, man. And I don't feel that, you know, he gets his credit, man, not just, you know, the music that he produced with you guys, but he also, you know, he did music with other artists. But um, he, you know, co-produced, you he co-produced Hot Buttered Soul, I mean, which yeah, is an incredible, know. iconic album. And he, he didn't want credit. He didn't want credit yeah. and he would never take pictures. He said, I don't want nobody to know anything about me just I, I want you guys to be out front but he was yeah. very hard on us you know he was very hard uh, he would knock on my door and uh he was very hard about gaining weight he never wants to gain weight and, and look out of shape and yeah. we would go to the door and a big sag of fruit would be at the door and, and he would be gone wow. 
was, he was that guy. He said, "Eat this." You know, yeah. nobody could gain weight. You you, you got to look slim on stage. You know, keep keep your hair done, keep yeah. your face up. Like, he was that guy, man. See, this is the see. This is what this is what my platform is for. Like I've watched <laughs> interviews with your brother. Um, and I never hear anybody ask that, like, talk about that brother, you know, like, and that's what I'm here for. Like, as far as I want to preserve the legacy of guys like yourself, guys like Alan yes, Jones, sir. I always told, you know, I was talking with your son. We, we talked, we had a great conversation, uh, last yeah. and uh -huh. mentioned to him, you know, you know, music has changed. And even with, you know, Memphis, uh, I mean, you guys got the, the hip hop has came and it, it, it really, shifted the whole music culture uh-huh but i don't feel like a lot of the hip-hop artists even though they use a lot of your music and sample what you do i don't feel like now i'm not going to say this about every artist but i right. I, I don't feel there's a segment in the hip-hop community that doesn't fully appreciate soul music now what mm -hmm. is your take on that now, that that's just that's my opinion that's me just you know outside looking in but i feel like i feel you know do you feel like you guys get the credit that you deserve oh uh, you know what um no no not for not for the wrong to i apologize i hate i hate that because to, to me you guys are legends thank you're you legend. you know what no we for royal. for your royalty for, make that clear you for, guys are thank you are rhythm and blues royalty there's no doubt about that from that aspect, no, no, we have not. Uh, for the endurance and the perseverance that we've had, yeah, to have had a career that has uh, withstood all the trials and tribulations. I mean, yeah. and to be a band that has played on so many hit records, yeah. behind the scenes for at Stax Records, uh, yeah. to have been the first to see, we have got for artists like Switch played their first concert with us. Wow. The Lakeside played their first concerts with us. Earth, Wind & Fire opened for us. The, when the Commodores opened for us, Lionel was a saxophone player. So we've been through eras, even though some, a lot of these groups got to be bigger than we were, we've been, we've been there. And, you right. know, just we've been there on a good level. And from that aspect, no. But, um, it used to bother us. It used to bother us, but uh, we became businessmen and something happens to you when you do that. You start to understand that uh, where you may not get the credit uh, in one way, God allows you to be smart enough okay. to create generational wealth, yeah. which you don't even want to talk about. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear that, you know, because you, you, you see that you got a lot of great bands, a lot of great artists that was bigger but their business acumen wasn't what it should yeah. have been. And we still do very, very well from deals we've made in uh, in the early parts of our, we didn't sell our publishing. You know, we get huge amounts of money from different things that a lot of groups, they got home their ass, they gave it up. We didn't do that. We didn't do that. We didn't that's, do that. That's beautiful. So, you know, here we go. You know, um, you know, you guys leave Mercury and, and, um, you you know, how was that man? As far as like you know the the that relationship and it was it was it an amicable uh, relationship? As far as it was, it, it was it was they gave us a decent shot. You know they um 
they looked after. And in regime change inside of record labels, your guys that kind of were there when you first got there, they aren't aren't there. And the guys who get hired don't have that much loyalty to you right. as did their predecessors. Uh, and so, uh, and then you're not selling as many records now, you know, you're selling, you know, 250, 300,000 records where you used to sell seven or 800,000. Right. So, you know, it, it becomes cool. And then uh, to, the desire for you to be signed by somebody uh, isn't there. I don't, I don't care to be signed to a label. I, and when I left Mercury, I, I, I would not sign with any other label. I want to have my own label to open the door and be a platform for other acts. And I, I have not signed a deal with anybody since then. And I, we've been asked to. That's awesome. So I want to fast forward. Let's go to 2003. You drop, you know, uh, the real mm -hmm. thing. And um, I was a little late to the party on that one. I heard when that dropped, I heard it like a year later in uh, 2004. Okay. What was it yeah. like, man, as far as, you know, putting uh, putting out your first album out and then we talking about 15, 16 years, you know? It was on our own label and uh, it, was, it was interesting, you know? It, we were calling our own shots, you know, spending our own money and uh, that was a good album. Uh, we did a lot of it in texas okay uh, we did we were taking songs from other from other it was different though it was different uh at that point it was kind of like just me and james and that's what i was just about to ask um, yeah we were kind of like it was jane it was just the two of us really uh carrying the torch of the bar caves. the band kind of changed yeah. Up, yeah. but 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 we were we were the smart guys we owned the label so uh, yeah, we we had other artists signed to us at that. We were kind of on the business men tip then. Now, now James Alexander is the father of uh, Faber. Yes, sir. Now, now, did you did you guys ever did you ever realize that he was going to grow up to be a legend himself? You not know? not not like he is, but he always had a knack for uh just music and he was a smart kid he loves music we knew he was going to be something but we had no idea he was going to turn out to be the iconic producer that he is james is very proud of him, and i am too he's my he's my little nephew and uh i'm very proud of it he produced um he's he's produced three he, songs he did something on house party didn't he he did uh let's see it's the first record he did was uh Show Enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, which wasn't a big record, but it's a good record. Then he oh, then uh, five years ago he did Grown Folks, which went top ten. That was my uh, and that and that kind of brought us back. Yeah. That yeah. house party, listen, hey, all, that house party was dope. I like that house party. That house yeah, party. Yeah, it was a great album. That was a great album. Was, it was a really good album. That's the thing, man. You when I hear you. Man, you did not miss a beat, man, from the yeah, voice. Good album. Good I, album. Mean, I mean, you guys still sound amazing. So with all that being said, man, you get you released your last project and you know, a 2012 grown folks, which was an amazing project. Yeah. What inspires you to continue? Because I heard recently you retired. I did. I retired uh in 2017, not just from the barcade, but I retired from, from the uh stage, really. Uh, as I said, I've been married for 50 years and uh, and at this at a certain point you you say I want to spend these years with yeah. my family and travel the world and do things 
that I, I would not have a chance to do. Yeah. Uh, and I want to be free of obligations of music. Cool. I've paid my dues. And while I'm while I can still walk and don't have to be you rolled around, I, I, I just thought I could do it, but I couldn't. I mean, I, after about a year, I missed it so very much. But I didn't. I took seven months to find somebody to take my place. But I did not go back to the barcades because I still own the band, James and I. So I said, let me just try a solo career, something I have not done, and which brings us to where I am now. So now here we are. We it's it's it's, it's twenty twenty. Now before I talk about what you got going on, mm-hmm. you wrote a book a few years back. What led you to writing this 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 book, man? And I and, and I read the book, uh, uh, brother. It's an amazing, amazing. And very, very candid, very candid. I my son and I used to sit at the table, and I would tell him all these stories and have him laugh. And he said, "Pop, you need to write a book." He said, "Do you you remember a lot of the stuff that went on?" And I said, "Man, I'm not an author. I don't know." But I took the challenge, and we found uh, somebody to edit it and. I thought I was going to ghostwrite it, but she told me, she said, Larry, your notes are the book. I'm yeah, not going to do anything but just call the chapters what they need to be. You're writing the story. You're a very good author. And I did. And I loved it. It took yeah. me about two years because I was traveling. And uh, we can't keep them. It's called And the Band Plays On. Yeah, I wrote yeah. that book all the way. It was pre barcades And I wrote it as I retired. So it was in real time. Yeah, that's dope. I write, like I've said, I read. I was very candid. I mean, I, I told stuff I'd never said to anybody. Yeah, I read, I read the book for the first time last year, and it, 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 you know, it gave me a, it gave me some material for this interview. But I, I, I said that's another one of those things. I, I, okay. I said I want to get an opportunity to talk to you, man. Like that, that, that book is an amazing read, brother. You know, I Thank really, you. I really Thank you so much, that. man. It's, it's very candid yeah. and it's a very good. It was therapeutic for me because I got a chance, you know, to, to yeah. reach back into my career and let people know how things really happen, the good and the bad. No doubt, no the doubt. Things no that doubt. survived and the things that survived to me. No doubt, no doubt. So yes, here we are, we 2020. You know, you 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 you, you got let you go by Larry D. Now is so is it Larry Dawson, aka Larry, Larry D. So it's Larry D. This is a new brand, new brand. Here that we was, go. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I could have made it. Let's talk about the rebrand. What, 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 where did that come from? You know, what's the, what was the, uh, you know, the, the inspiration for that? When I decided to come back, I, I, uh, I could have come back as Larry Dotson and just, and, and it would have helped me because it would have made people familiar who do I am. But I said, I want, I want to brand a different name. I want to brand Larry D because I like that. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, it was cool for me to do that. And I said, I'll take on the challenge of people trying to understand who Larry D is. They'll know my face when they see me. They'll put two and two yeah. together. But the biggest thing that happened is, is I is I, uh, I ran to a producer and we put a hit record together. Uh, Let's talk about that. That's what I want to talk about because I just your son sent it to me a while back. Uh, you know, when we when we talked last week. And yes, brother, you did your thing. Let's Thank talk. you so much. I'm so proud of that man. Uh, Charlie Wilson produced his name is Wiley Morris. He's the same guy who produced Charlie's records. Yeah. Uh, I went to Atlanta. I heard this record, man, and I said, Oh, I gotta do that. I got it. it's got Larry G written all over it. I did it, and uh it's my son and I started a new label called Music Moves. Okay. And uh, we run this label together, and it's our first record. We did the video, and uh that's where I am now, man. I was so fortunate to have a 
it's going to be a huge record. I mean, we're going to start this phase two of the promotion up next month, but it's done very well so far. Uh, and uh, the views is looking really good on YouTube. Yeah, absolutely right. We're, we're, we're going to be fine. We're going to go into a whole other phase of promotion. Yeah. And for, uh, for I, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't go ahead, brother. I'm no, no, no. I, I was about to say, uh, I'm going, I'm going, I, I did in September, we did my first pay per view video, uh, an evening with Larry D it was real good. So now I'm doing on the 23rd, I'm going to air, we're going to uh, have a virtual, my 70th birthday is called Larry D and Friends uh, birthday celebration, and also in celebration of our 46th inauguration. So it's going to be a big bash, and uh, all the all the industry is going to be involved there. The industry are my friends. Uh, I have special guests and video screens. We have a lot of shout outs. It's going to be just a really good. That's the twenty third of January. Wow, wow. So, so that's going to be a surprise as far as like you know the guests that's going to be because this. I'll say, eventually tell you. I'll eventually tell you who. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I, I'm gonna chop it up with you know me and your son. We kind of you know he absolutely chop it up, man. Good brother, man. Good brother. You know, so it's glad to see you, brother, where you're at right now. And thank you, you so know, much, man. That's delightful. No, nah, no doubt, no doubt. It's, it's great to see you where you at now and, and you, you know, enjoy this illustrious career and enjoy the fruits of your labor, uh, brother. Absolutely. I'll be on tour starting the summer. I think our pandemic will be at a point where there'll be some sense of normalcy because I had to cancel my tour for last year, of course, like everybody else did. But Folks can look to see me, and uh, if you want to get uh, my book and understand what's going on in my life, just go to www.thelarrydotson.com. Follow me on Instagram, uh, the real Larry Dotson. And man, I really appreciate you. You've been a delightful host, and you got your you got your you came with your game face, man. I mean, really, probably more than I did about my music. You one of the few guys I know who are really versed on what I've been doing all my life. Yeah, I appreciate you. you and I received that man. I you and you you're a very, very a delightful guy to be uh interviewed by. I'm honored. I'm honored, sir. Like I said, you are I want you to notice before you get off this 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 interview, you are rhythm and blues royalty, you are music you, royalty. And like I told your son, man, I'm gonna do everything in my power to preserve your legacy. I don't think you you, you don't you don't need me, I know that, but I'm a no, all we got is us. All we got is us. Black folks, all we got is us, man. So we do need each other. No, we no, do need each other. I'm, yes, I'm, I'm gonna give you that. I'm gonna give you that, sir. But uh, your contribution to to the to the culture, man, is amazing. We love you. Um, keep doing what you're doing. You know, I know you got the 70th birthday uh, uh, celebration around my birthday. I'm uh, uh, my birthday, January 16th. Oh, get out of here. Okay. All right. All right. All yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. So I'll close I'm you're Capricorn. Little, you're Capricorn, though. Yeah, I can yeah. tell you, you're Capricorn. You about that money? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to this, brother. This has been an honor uh, to be able to chop it up with you, sir. Before we go, can I get a shout out? Bridging the generation podcast. Yeah, I mean, uh, what what do you need? Can I get a shout out? Like, you know, can I shout me out as far as you know the bridging the generation podcast, the original generation podcast? Yeah, can I get a shout out? Oh, sure. Hey, this is your boy, Larry D. And I always dig the original generation podcast. And if you don't, you ain't cool. There we go. Say no more, brother. Again, it's been an honor. You enjoy the rest of your night, sir. And I look forward to you. You know, I look forward to many great things from you, brother. This has been an honor.
It's been awesome. Be well, man. Have some great holidays. Be safe, man, and always keep faith before fear. Okay. No doubt, no doubt. Likewise, and tell your son, thank you, brother. I'm out. Peace. Bye. Thank you.